Great to be with all of you. Um, as Shay said, second week of this Encounters with Jesus preaching series where we're looking in the Gospels, particularly the Gospel of John, at how Jesus encounters individuals and changes their lives. And the fact is, as Ron explained to us last week, he's still doing it today. We can still encounter Jesus today. So we should be expectant of that. Um, whenever we look at something in the Gospels, we should be expecting that we can encounter him in the same way. And today we're looking at probably the most profound life-defining encounter that we can have with Jesus, and it comes out in a conversation that he has with Nicodemus, a man called Nicodemus in John chapter 3. So I'm going to read from there, from from verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he's coming at night because he doesn't want any other Jewish leaders to know, or whether he's coming on behalf of the other Jewish leaders, to just maybe a bit of a political move, we don't really know, but he starts off very respectfully. He, he, He calls Jesus rabbi. You know, he doesn't have to do that. He, he starts very respectfully. He comes in humility. Uh, he seems to genuinely want to find out more. He seems to genuinely want to have this uh, conversation with Jesus. And so this is his opening gambit in this conversation. And you might expect Jesus at this point to say, well, thank you, Nicodemus. It's great to see you. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you coming to see me. What, what is it you'd like to talk about? But Jesus doesn't do that. You know, Nicodemus hasn't even asked a question yet, but Jesus gives him an answer anyway. Because Jesus is setting the agenda here. And so Jesus says, in reply, I tell you the truth. In other words, listen, Nicodemus, this is important. I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Well, how can a man be born when he's old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asks. You notice Nicodemus's comments and interjections are just getting shorter and shorter as he listens to Jesus. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I'll, I'll stop there. There's a lot more that Jesus says, but um, I think that will probably, that will probably do us. Um, there's a lot in that passage that I just read that I'm not going to talk about today. Just can't, don't, don't have the time. But what I want to focus on is the central thing that Jesus says there about being born again. You must be born again, which, as I said, is the most profound and life-defining encounter you can have with Jesus. Now, of course, most of us in here today would say, well, I've had that encounter. You know, you would describe yourself as being born again. And um, so today, for you, I think, is an opportunity, I trust, to, to get fresh revelation of that, of really what that means, of, of what this new birth is, the miracle that it is, the wonder, the sheer wonder of what God has done in you and what God has done for you. 
and to come to Jesus again in gratitude, to encounter him again. But for anybody here uh, who would not describe themselves as born again, there's an opportunity for you today to receive this new birth that Jesus is talking about and to have your life transformed for eternity. So listen in. Okay, this is important. So there are three things that I want to look at already from that phrase. You know, I'm sure you've, you've heard it, even if you're not a Christian, I'm sure you've heard of that phrase, born-again Christian. I wonder what it makes you think of. I mean, the reality, of course, is that there is no other category of Christian because Jesus says to be a Christian, you have to be born again. So you're either a Christian because you've been born again or you're not. So the category born-again Christian is a little bit of a false category, but I know it's a, it is a category that people think of. And probably for a lot of people, they would think of it as a certain type of person or a certain type of Christian, a born-again Christian. And what type that is would really depend on your experience of Christians. So some people might say, oh yeah, born-again Christians, yeah, they're, they're nice people. Others might say, no, 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 they're really judgmental people. Some people might say, oh, born-again Christians, yeah, they, they take morality in the Bible very, very seriously. And others might say, yeah, they're complete hypocrites. Some people might say, well, it's particularly emotional people who become born-again Christians. You know, it's weak people who need a crutch in their life. Something bad's happened to them and they, they, they need that crutch in their life. Whatever it is you think, I think a lot of people think of a, a certain type of person, a certain type of Christian. Jesus doesn't allow us to do that, though, because here we have Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a Pharisee, so he is in the elite already he is respectable he's someone with a good moral structure so people would have seen Nicodemus as this is a respectable moral man not only is he a Pharisee he's in the Sanhedrin the Jewish ruling council this the the super elite you know he's top of the tops here so he's also described by Jesus as Israel's teacher so this is a high caliber high capacity respectable moral probably very well for this encounter in chapter 3 right next to the encounter that we'll hear about next week in chapter four with a poor, morally corrupt Samaritan woman. It's no accident because John is telling the reader something here. He's showing the whole range of the social scale. It's represented here. John's telling the reader this new birth that Jesus is talking about, it is necessary for everybody. No exceptions for everybody. Not even an exception for someone as good as Nicodemus. Everybody needs to be born again. Romans 3 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in the same position before God. That's the reality. Regardless of your achievements and successes or lack of, we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same position before God. And so what Jesus is doing really is he's taking away any excuse you might have for not considering this for yourself. He just doesn't give you the option. He's not presenting the new birth as an option or for just a certain type of person He's saying you must be born again if you want to enter the kingdom of God. No exceptions. So what is this new birth? What does it mean to be truly born again? Because Nicodemus is clearly taken aback by what Jesus is saying. He's puzzled by what he's saying. He's like, what, you, you mean, you know, get back into my mother's womb? I don't think she'd like that very much, you know. That would be a bit awkward, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> Jesus talks to Nicodemus. Like I said, Nicodemus comes with this not even a question, but Jesus cuts straight in talking about the kingdom of God. He says, you must be born again to see and to enter the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus knew all about the kingdom of God. This was not new to him. All faithful Jews were waiting for the kingdom of God. 
The kingdom of God was a time in the future and the righteous would be raised to life and there would be a new heavens and a new earth. That's how he would have understood the kingdom of God, this future time of God's power breaking out and restoring all things. And that's what we believe as Christians as well, that that time will come, that day is going to come when God will come and he will restore all things. But what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus here, and this is what is so earth-shattering for Nicodemus, he's saying that that future kingdom of God, that can come into your life right now through this new birth. That future power of God that will heal everything and restore everything, put everything right that is wrong in the world. That is some power. He's saying that future power, actually you can have it in your life now. Partially, not in its entirety, but actually and in reality. And so that healing and restoration work, that can start now. That's staggering for Nicodemus to hear. That's a total paradigm shift for him, along with the fact Jesus is telling him, you, Nicodemus, you, even you, need to be born again to enter that kingdom of God. Your righteousness as a faithful Jew is not and never will be enough. You must be born again. And of course, Jesus isn't talking about physical birth here. He, he says, you know, he talks about being born of water and the spirit, which I think is referring to the same thing. The, the emphasis here is spiritual birth, spiritual rebirth. The implantation of new life. The implantation, actually, of the very life and power of God himself dwelling in you now. That's radical. That's a radical thing that gives you a whole new foundation for your life, a new identity. It gives you a whole new way of seeing things. I'll come to those things in just a minute. You become a new creation, a new person. Being born again, it's important to stress this, Being born again is not about turning over a new leaf and deciding to be a better person. Of course, it does produce, or it should produce, a change in behaviour, but that's not what it primarily is, because anyone can make themselves better. We can all improve ourselves in some way, in ways that within our grasp, within our control, you know, we can all decide to be a bit more generous. We can decide to love that person a bit more. I'm going to spend some more time with them. We can decide to improve our health, change our diet or exercise, we can try to improve our minds. Some people like to meditate and some people you know, to decide to read more. I'm going to improve my mind. There's all sorts of things that we can do to improve ourselves. But new birth, as the name would suggest, is far more radical than that because it's not about reformation. It's about transformation. It's, it's as radical as this. If you, if you had an apple orchard that you wanted next year to produce pears... You know, you could Google, how do I look after apple trees really well? And you could do everything you need to do, you know, water them at the right. Radical. Christianity is not a self-improvement course, right? Jesus doesn't come primarily to make bad people good. He comes to make dead people alive. Yeah, because we're born, clearly, physically alive, but we are also born spiritually dead, separated from God enemies of God because of our sin that's how we're born it's the position we're all in but when you're born again you're made alive to God your spirit comes alive to him you're reconciled to him you become spiritually alive it's a miracle in the same way that physical birth is a miracle spiritual birth spiritual rebirth is an absolute miracle death to life that's how radical it is take Nicodemus even he as good as he was he probably realized he wasn't perfect you know, he probably would have thought, yeah, I there are some areas I can improve in. I need a bit of divine help, a bit of a top-up, a bit of a supplement, a little bit of help from God. 
But Jesus is saying, no, 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 you don't need supplementation, Nicodemus. You don't need an add-on. You need transformation. Even you, Nicodemus, you need transformation. And he would say the same to anybody here who is not born again. He would say, you must be born again. So your primary problem in your life is not the flaws that you have in your character. It's not the bad things that happen to you or the bad things that happen in the world. Your problem is that you are separated from God. You're spiritually dead. And that's the position all of us were in. You must be born again, is what Jesus says. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, if you want that new life that God offers, you must be born again, no matter who you are. So a couple of things about this new birth, it really changes in our lives. So the first is that it gives you a whole new foundation and identity in your life. I mean, what is your identity based on, if you think about it? Because we, we all spend our lives kind of building an identity around something. We build foundations in our lives. That kind of becomes, that's, that's who we are. It defines who we are. Every human being has certain deep longings. We're born with them. So every human being has a longing for love and for acceptance. We all have that. To a greater or lesser extent, we all have that longing. We all have a longing for purpose and significance in our lives. And we all have a longing for meaning in our lives. It's a common question, is what is the meaning of life? Well, every human being has those longings. And of course, we look to fulfill those longings in all sorts of different places. So we, we look to build a foundation for our lives. We look to build an identity in things like our work, our career. That becomes the definition of who you are. I am, I am a teacher. I am this. I am a church pastor, whatever it might be. And you can start to find your identity and your foundation in your work, or it might be in relationships, or in family, it might even be in trying to be a good person. That's, where I, that's, that's what makes me somebody, is because I try to be a good person. I try to be kind to others. And of course, those are all good things. They're all good things, but none of them can fulfill those longings perfectly. And I think we all know that's true, because we know we always want more. We're always searching for more in life, aren't we? Extra, you know, we, we might hit a point in life at certain points where we feel, actually... I feel really content with my life right now, but we know that doesn't last. It's not long before we're thinking, there's got to be more to life. There's got to be something else. This isn't doing it for me anymore. None of those things that I mentioned, work, family, relationships, none of those, as good as they are in themselves, are good foundations for our lives or for our identities because, of course, they can change in an instant. They can let you down. You can lose a job. And if your whole life is built around your career your whole life crumbles. You can be passed over for promotion. You can face disappointment at work. You can lose a relationship or you can be stuck in a really bad, destructive relationship. You can lose family. We know that's a reality. And of course, if those things are your foundations in life, then when they crumble, your whole, the whole building comes down. Your whole life crumbles. But new birth gives you a new identity. It gives you a new foundation that is unshakable. It doesn't make any of those things unimportant, by the way. Family, really important. Relationships, friends, work, all these things are really important. But when you are born again, you have this new unshakable foundation. My foundation in life, since I was 17, when I was born again, my foundation in my life is that I am reconciled to God and not everybody else. Being born again doesn't make you immune to grief and pain and terrible things happening to you. And being born again certainly doesn't suddenly make you perfect. Anyone who labels Christians as hypocrites know that. 
Because I still sin, I still mess things up, I still, on occasions, try to find my identity in things other than Jesus. I still try to do that, even though I've met him. But through it all, through every circumstance, and through all of my failures, that foundation I have never, ever shifts. I am accepted and I am loved. I am significant, I am secure. And that's not dependent on what I do or on what others say about me. It's totally dependent on what Jesus has done, which can never be changed, and it's about what he says about me. It's who he says I am, and that doesn't change either. When I was born again, I became a different person. New identity, new foundations. And then the second thing that I just want to emphasize here is that being born again means that you start to see everything in a new way. You see differently. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God, to really see it. And Nicodemus could say, but I know what the kingdom of God is. I do see it. What are you talking about? Jesus is saying, no, you don't. You don't get it. You need to be born again to really see the reality, to, to see and, and tangibly experience the reality of God's love for you and God's power and his life in your life. You need to be born again to really see it. Because, of course, you know, many people believe in God even in a loving God without being born again. Lots of people believe in God. And again, some of you here today who would not describe yourselves as born again, I'm guessing there's some belief there because you're here. I, was, I believed in God. I believed in a loving God before I was born again. It's not just about belief. When you're born again, when you're brought from death to life by the power of Jesus, then you see him. You see him and his love his love becomes more real to you than anything else in this world. And because you've experienced the burning, passionate, compassionate love of Jesus for yourself, even though you realize that you're a sinner and that you don't deserve anything from him, but you experience his love, then you want to follow him. That makes you want to follow Jesus and his ways and his purposes regardless of the cost because he is somebody I can trust. And I think that's really important for some here to understand because it might be that you're thinking... I kind of get it. I'd kind of like to... I can see there's something in this. I'd, I'd, I'd like to become a Christian, but not if I have to give that up. Can't do that. Or not if I have to do that. Or not if I have to believe what the Bible teaches about that particular issue. No, I can't do that. If that's what you think, then you haven't understood the nature of this thing. And it's hard. It's hard from an outside perspective. It's hard from outside the new birth to imagine just how different the world looks, how differently you see things when you are born again. There's a C.S. Lewis quote that goes something like this. He says, most of us go to God saying, if I let you into my life, if I become a Christian, will you fix the roof on my cottage? When actually he wants to turn you into a castle and do things in you and through you and with you. But as you consider becoming a Christian, you just can't anticipate what you will feel like and how you will see things as a Christian with that life of God, with the power of God dwelling within you. You can't anticipate it. And so you can't lay down those kinds of conditions. Well, I want to become a Christian, but not if. Not if. Not if I have to do that. No. That's not the deal. Becoming a Christian, becoming a follower of Jesus is not only to say, I believe. As I said, lots of people believe in God but it's to declare that Jesus is Lord. Romans 10.9 says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. 
Declaring that Jesus is Lord means you're saying, Jesus, you set the agenda in my life now. I don't set the agenda for my own life anymore. And that's not a thought we like because we like to be in control of our lives. We like to think we have this illusion that we're somehow in control. And it is an illusion because we know that our lives can change in an instant. We're not in control of our lives. So I'd rather that somebody like Jesus is in control of my life. And let me tell you this. From the other side of that new birth, it's incredibly releasing to be able to hand the reins of your life over to someone when that person is Jesus. I wouldn't want to hand the reins of my life over to anybody else, but when it's Jesus, it's so, so releasing. This is difficult for us. When you're not born again, this is difficult to comprehend. That's why it takes the power of new birth. That's what it takes. So who is this new birth for? It's for everybody, no exceptions. What is it? It's an implantation of God's life and God's power in our lives. You become a new creation, a new identity, a new foundation, a new way of seeing things. It's radical. Death to life, that's how radical it is. So, final thing, how do you receive new birth? Well, Ephesians 2, 8 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, this, this faith is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. So even the faith that you have is the gift of God. Grace and faith. Grace and faith. Well, what is grace? Grace is the unmerited, unearned gift of God. It's a gift. You can't do anything to earn it. That's the point. We all become before God as equals. We're all on the same level. Whether you're successful like Nicodemus or you're a complete ruin like the woman we'll meet next week in chapter four. We're all in the same boat and we are all in absolute need of God's grace because only God can make you spiritually alive. I can't make you spiritually alive. Nobody else here can make you spiritually alive. Only God can make you spiritually alive. So you're totally dependent on him for this new birth. You're totally dependent on this gift that he gives and that is his grace. You need his intervention. You need his power. You can't contribute anything. So important we get it. You can't contribute anything. You know, babies, we're talking about new birth. Babies, when they're born, they don't contribute anything to that. They were not born because they planned on it. They were born because of what their their parents got up to. If you think you can save yourself, or if you have any small inkling that you can save yourself, if you think you're a good enough person to make it, you will never experience the grace of God. You won't experience it. It is only when you realize that salvation is by grace, that you are not and never will be righteous enough to earn salvation, even if you're a really good person. It will never be enough to earn salvation. It's only when you realize that, that God's grace can come in. It's only when you reach that point, really, of surrender, saying, yeah, okay, I know. I can't contribute anything to this, God. I'm totally dependent on you. That's when you can experience God's grace. It's called repentance. You know, you turn from your life and doing things your way, sin, independence, all that, and you say, I'm turning towards you, Lord. I I want everything you have for me. I want to follow you. I want your life. I want your power. I want to do things your way. It's repentance, and it's something that God brings about. That's what Nicodemus would have struggled with because he thought it's about living a good life, live the moral life um, to be able to enter the kingdom of God at the end of the world. 
He lived in this world of rules where you do the stuff, then God loves you, and you get accepted into his kingdom. That's religion. That's a definition of religion. Where it's all about what do I do to be saved? How do I earn it? But no, 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 the new birth that Jesus... Again, you might be a really lovely person, but there's nothing in you that commends you to God. You're entirely dependent on his grace. So we need that. We need God's grace to be born again. We need God's grace in general, but we also need to have faith in what Jesus has done in particular. And this is what Jesus meant in that rather strange bit where he talked about the snake being lifted up in the desert. He, he said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. That's alluding to a story in the Old Testament, not time to go into it, but Basically, God tells Moses to make this bronze snake and to lift this bronze snake up on a pole and that when people look at this bronze snake, they'll be healed. It's this act of faith. Healing and life would come through this act of faith of looking at the snake. In the same way, Jesus is saying the Son of Man is to be lifted up. He's talking, of course, about the cross. The Son of Man is to be lifted up and we need to look at Jesus on the cross, have faith in what he accomplished on our behalf. And also in how he did it, what he went through, so that we could be saved. See, babies, again, babies are brought into the world not through their own pain and labour, but through the pain and labour of someone else, their mother. I've been present at four births. One I don't remember, because it was my own. Um, And I think it's quite good that we don't remember that. But my observation of the births that I have consciously witnessed is that it certainly does seem to hurt a bit. (laughs) I'm so sorry. My point is this. New life comes through the pain and suffering of somebody else. Now, Jesus, bear in mind, Jesus lived in a day when giving birth meant certain pain and suffering. There There was no pain relief available. There were no epidurals or anything like that. But it also potentially meant death. Many children in that day were born through the death of their mother. So in a while, you'll see me no more. And then he says something which seems to be completely unrelated, but it's actually not. He says a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. Her hour has come. Jesus would use that phrase, my hour has not yet come, or my hour has come to describe his own crucifixion. So he's saying a a, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because the time has come. It's, It's going to be painful But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. And it's true. I've seen it. Going from pain to just elation, pain to joy. But Jesus is saying this new birth is only possible because of someone who not only risked his life, but he willingly chose to give his life. He knew what he was doing. He knew he was going to lose his life. He chose to do, to do that, to give his life on a cross. It was someone who not only experienced the most unimaginable physical pain, physical suffering and agony, but also the unmeasurable and unknowable emotional and psychological and spiritual pain of separation from his father and carrying the sin, bearing the sin of the world. I mean, what is that like? None of us know. None of us have any idea of what that was like. Carrying your sin, my sin, the penalty for that sin. But what Jesus is saying is that the joy we might feel at seeing a new baby is just a tiny, tiny hint of the joy that he feels when he sees you born again. 
And he says, and it was all worth it. It was all worth it. All the pain, the anguish, the suffering, the separation, the mockery, the humiliation, it was all worth it because look at you. Look at you. Look at what I've won. He says in Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy set, that's you and me. For the joy, the sheer joy that was set before him, that's why he endured the cross. He didn't have to. He chose to. So how do we receive this new birth? Well, we need God's grace to repent and we need the gift of faith to believe in what Jesus did on the cross on your behalf, taking your sin, offering forgiveness, making you righteous, destroying the barrier between you and God and then giving you the faith to be able to declare him as Lord, to trust him enough to say, you, Jesus, you are my saviour and you are my Lord. I give my life to you willingly and gladly. I give it all to you. Now, how do we know this is right? How do we know this is true? Well, the evidence is in transformed lives. Throughout the Bible, we see lives transformed. Peter turns from this kind of bullish fisherman to to, to preaching the most successful evangelistic sermon in his life. Paul turns from being a persecutor of the church to somebody who planted more churches than anybody else. The transformative power of this new birth. Nicodemus himself, haven't got time to look at this, but if you look in John 19, you'll see who pops up to help with the burial of Jesus' body and preparing a body, Nicodemus. Something had happened to him. Maybe he'd gone away and really considered what Jesus said and he had come to that revelation, Jesus is who he says he is. Maybe. It doesn't say explicitly, but you see evidence of a changed life. Whatever happened with Nicodemus, for you here today who are not born again, you are surrounded by the evidence of hundreds of transformed lives. Jesus died so that you could live. He died so that you could know and experience God's love and stop striving to save yourself. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you believe in him? Do you believe in him? Do you trust him? See, if you're born again, this is wonderful news. And my challenge to you, my challenge to us is to live like it. Live like it. Believe Jesus when he tells you you're forgiven. Don't live in condemnation. Believe him when he tells you you are loved. Continue to base your identity on that unshakable foundation. Don't look elsewhere for your identity. Live like you're born again. No compromise. Jesus is not an add-on. He will not be an add-on. He will not allow that to happen. Don't treat him like he's an add-on to your life. No, he's everything. Jesus is everything. But if you're not born again, this is wonderful news for you if... And only if you accept it. You have to accept it. See, in his sovereignty, you know, we know we're totally reliant on God's grace. We're totally reliant on that gift of faith that comes from God. But in his sovereignty, God gives us choice. He gives us choice. What are you going to choose? I'll tell you one thing is you will never be able to say, nobody told me. When you stand before God, you won't be able to say to him, but nobody told me. I've told you. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. You must be born again. So do you want that? Do you want the new life that God offers? And are you willing to lay down everything? Willing to lay down your pride to receive it and to encounter Jesus as your saviour and to be able to declare him as your Lord?